arriving at Gethsemane at the base of the Mount of Olives, he left eight of his disciples and took Peter, James, and John with him. Matthew, who was with Jesus that night, recorded this sacred event. And he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed. Luke, who was not present, but had interviewed eyewitnesses, added, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. In the olive orchard, on the Mount of Olives, near the olive press, Gethsemane, all the sins, sadnesses, sorrows, sickness, and suffering of all who had lived or would live upon the earth came upon him, and he bled from every pore. Alma said that he bore our sicknesses, that he may know, according to the flesh, how to succor us in the midst of our infirmities. The Savior himself said that he descended below all things, in that he comprehended all things. In the terrible suffering of Gethsemane, Mark said that Jesus was sore amazed. Sore amazed in Greek means astonished, awestruck. Jesus had known since our pre-mortal life that he would take upon himself the sins of all, but he had never experienced the atonement. The agony, the pain was immeasurable. In our day, he described his experience as the winepress of the fierceness of the Almighty God, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. The all-encompassing agony that caused him to sweat great drops of blood would have left his body weakened beyond mortal comprehension, but his agony continued. The betrayal by one who walked with him, his face slapped and spit upon as he stood before the Jewish rulers, his body scourged and a crown of thorns pressed into his head by his Roman captors. All came in the ensuing hours. Finally, the heavy beam was thrust upon his torn flesh of his back as he moved toward Golgotha. Pontius Pilate, after declaring that he found no fault in Jesus, cowardly capitulated to the cries of the mob, Crucify him, crucify him. And at 9 a.m. at Golgotha, meaning the place of burial, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. On the cross, the agonies of Gethsemane would recur, intensified beyond human power to endure. After six hours on the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Thy will is done. The Savior turned the final page of his mortality. His sacrifice for us was accomplished. Today I would like to speak of three beautiful blessings that have been given to each of us. 
Before all else, we should thank our Heavenly Father for our very lives, that we breathe, that we have the amazing experiences of mortality, the privilege of growing our faith, learning to love within a family, and the joys of friendship that surround us. I love these simple words from a primary song. He gave me my eyes that I might see the color of butterfly wings. He gave me my ears that I might hear the magical sound of things. He gave me my life, my mind, my heart. I thank him reverently for all his creations of which I'm a part. Yes, I know Heavenly Father loves me. The greatest of God's gifts are given to almost everyone. I might just insert here, to feel God's love, I have found that if we are attentive, every human being who has ever lived has felt our Heavenly Father's love. Some of us feel it more often maybe than others, but we have all felt it, and we need to remember that, reflect upon it, think about it, and seek it. The fact that the gift comes to all does not diminish the magnificence of the gift. Quite the contrary. King Benjamin taught it this way. If you should render all the thanks and praise which your whole soul has power to possess to that God who has created you and has kept and preserved you and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath that you may live and move and do according to your own will, and even supporting you from one moment to another, I say, if you should serve him with all your whole souls, yet ye would be unprofitable servants. I'm not sure how old I was, but sometime before I was your age, I realized that these magnificent gifts had been given to me not from anything I had done, but simply as a gift from God. I could move my fingers, I could walk, I could think, I could love. God had given me life, independent of our challenges, difficulties, stresses, temptations, and pains. The very fact that you and I have life is a gift beyond price. Next, number two, one of our greatest blessings is our ability to choose, to decide, to shape our desires and determine those things we will love and those things we will discard. Our ability to choose started long before we came upon this earth. In the pre-mortal world, the Father's plan was presented. One who was known as Lucifer came forward saying, Here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind. That one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. Lucifer did not desire to give us a mortal experience where we could learn and grow, choose right over wrong, and develop faith in God. His chief aim was his own honor and glory. How thankful we are for he whom the Father called my beloved Son, who said, Father, 
thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Here am I. Send me. We are agents unto ourselves, with the freedom to think and grow and choose, even realizing that at times we will make mistakes. I had an experience that influenced my feelings about the importance of choosing what is right. Several years ago, a friend of mine had a young daughter die in a tragic accident. Hopes and dreams were shattered. My friend felt unbearable sorrow. He began to question what he believed. The mother of my friend wrote me a letter and asked if I could talk to him and give him a blessing. As I laid my hands upon his head, I felt to tell him something that I had not thought about in exactly the same way before. The impression that came to me was this. Faith is not only a feeling. It is a decision. He would need to choose faith. My friend chose the road of faith and obedience. He got on his knees. His spiritual balance returned. Now, I think just to keep you alert, put this all the way down. I'm going to ask Sister Anderson to give us a little bit of a humorous story about one of her grandsons who, who was choosing right. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't warn her, but I just thought how sad it would be that I'd bring her and you would not have the magnificence of her spirit come upon you. So this is a kind of a humorous story, but you'll appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here today with you all. Um, a number of years ago, I was uh, just uh, babysitting, watching two of our young grandchildren one evening while their parents were away. And <clears throat> I thought I had been a really good grandmother. Everything had gone terrifically well. And then I stepped out of the room for a minute, and all of a sudden there was this loud cry. And so I rushed back into the room, and our little, uh, at that time, two-year-old grandson was just sobbing and sobbing. And I said, Christian, what is wrong with you? And he said, my brother hit me. And so I comforted Christian and tried to get him uh, calm and settled and feeling loved. And, and, uh, and then I went to Clayton, the four-year-old, and I said, Clayton, why would, you, why would you hit your little brother? And that fast he said to me, Mimi, I lost my CTR ring and I cannot choose the right. <laughs> Now, you're not permitted to say that. You know that, don't you? <laughs> the ability to seek within ourselves the gift of faith is an enormous spiritual blessing. The Savior taught us how to choose the right, even when it's not easy. Just to prior to Gethsemane, he said, Father, save me from this hour. And then perhaps pausing, he added, but for this cause, came I unto this hour. The prophet Abinadi said, the will of the Son swallowed up in the will of the Father. You don't know exactly what is ahead of you in life, 
There will be joys and happiness, but there will also be trials and disappointments. Jesus declared that we are to settle in our hearts that we will do as our Father has taught us. When we determine to choose the right, to keep the commandments, to be unafraid of letting our will be swallowed up in the will of our Heavenly Father, we are giving to Him one of the few things that is truly ours to give. Number three, finally, let us ever be forever thankful for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For me, there are no words in any language to truly describe the majesty, the power, the glory, or the love of the Son of God. As we consider our utter dependence upon Jesus Christ for our eternal redemption, our gratefulness and love for God blossoms. Jesus came to earth in the meridian of time in the most humble of conditions. His virgin mother Mary was a pure and virtuous woman because his father was God himself. Jesus was able to experience the trials and temptations of mortality without being subject to the full effects of the fall, with the power to take upon himself more than any mortal man could suffer. With compassion and mercy, he taught the truth, healed the sick, and invited us all to repent and come unto him. After three years in his final week, Jesus came into Jerusalem. Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, was with him. Do you remember that in the streets of Bethany, as Lazarus laid in the tomb, Jesus said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus' popularity frightened the chief priest, and they determined that they would put Jesus and Lazarus also to death. Jesus said to his disciples, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. As Thursday evening came, Christ was with his twelve apostles in the upper room. He instituted the sacrament in remembrance of the sacrifice he was preparing to offer. He washed their feet and explained, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. He bid them to love one another. He prayed, sang a hymn, and led them outside the city walls to Jerusalem, to, excuse me, to Gethsemane, outside the city walls of Jerusalem to Gethsemane. Arriving at Gethsemane at the base of the Mount of Olives, he left eight of his disciples and took Peter, James, and John with him. Matthew, who was with Jesus that night, recorded this sacred event. And he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed. Luke, who was not present, but had interviewed eyewitnesses, added, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and he sweat as it were great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. 
in the olive orchard on the Mount of Olives near the olive press, Gethsemane, all the sins, sadnesses, sorrows, sickness, and suffering of all who had lived or would live upon the earth came upon him, and he bled from every pore. Alma said that he bore our sicknesses, that he may know, according to the flesh, how to succor us in the midst of our infirmities. The Savior himself said that he descended below all things, in that he comprehended all things. In the terrible suffering of Gethsemane, Mark said that Jesus was sore amazed. Sore amazed in Greek means astonished, awestruck. Jesus had known since our pre-mortal life that he would take upon himself the sins of all, but he had never experienced the atonement. The agony, the pain was immeasurable. In our day, he described his experience as the winepress of the fierceness of the Almighty God, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. The all-encompassing agony that caused him to sweat great drops of blood would have left his body weakened beyond mortal comprehension, but his agony continued. The betrayal by one who walked with him, his face slapped and spit upon as he stood before the Jewish rulers, his body scourged and a crown of thorns pressed into his head by his Roman captors. All came in the ensuing hours. Finally, the heavy beam was thrust upon his torn flesh of his back as he moved toward Golgotha. Pontius Pilate, after declaring that he found no fault in Jesus, cowardly capitulated to the cries of the mob, crucify him, crucify him. And at 9 a.m. at Golgotha, meaning the place of burial, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. On the cross, the agonies of Gethsemane would recur, intensified beyond human power to endure. After six hours on the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Thy will is done. The Savior turned the final page of his mortality. His sacrifice for us was accomplished. Jesus Christ was the first in all history to rise from the grave. On the first day of the week, the woman came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared for his burial. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. They found two men clothed in shining garments. As the women fell to the earth, the angels asked, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. Soon after, he appeared to his apostles with a personal witness of his own resurrection. Behold, my hands and my feet, handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Later, he was seen by more than 500 brethren at once. Following his resurrection, he appeared and ministered to 2,500 men, women, and children in the Americas. Because he lives and rose from the tomb, all mankind, including you and me, 
will be resurrected. Let us be forever filled with the awe, gratitude, and wonder of the Savior's sacred atonement. Many times we gain the courage we need when we meet someone who has been given unusual difficulties and yet remains inspiringly grateful. I met such a person a few years ago. Her name was Laura McPherson, and I met her in the hospital. As I tell you her story, note her gratefulness for life itself, her willingness to yield without resentment her will to her Heavenly Father, and finally her love for the Savior. Laura's family first learned about her genetic disorder, neurofibromatosis, when she was three years old. This genetic mutation can result in the growth of nerve tumors anywhere in the body. Most people with this disorder live fairly normal lives, but some have very difficult complications. Laura is one of those. At age seven, she had tumors on her spinal cord. At age 12, she developed a brain tumor, and at age 17, a brain stem tumor that would not allow surgery but required immense radiation. At age 21, a tumor grew on her forearm. At age 25, she had abdominal tumor surgery, removing tumors from her stomach. And finally, as I met her in the hospital, a tumor on her spinal cord requiring more surgery and radiation. Her very life had been challenged throughout her 26 years, yet she was remarkably grateful for the goodness of God. She wrote to me shortly after we met, I quote, I trust that the Lord knows what is best for me. I can pray for cures, but I know that if I am not cured, He can still give blessings and strength and healing. I'm thankful for my understanding of the bigger picture, that there is life after this life when our trials will be put into proper perspective and we will comprehend the wisdom and love of God. I have developed gratitude for the small and simple things of life. I have more empathy for and less judgment of others who are going through trials. I have learned how to ask for help and receive it gratefully. I have a testimony that God still loves me and blesses me even when the trials are not taken away. Then she continued with this brief paragraph. Whether God's healing comes in this life or the next, I know he's watching over me and is giving me and those around me experiences that will help us best fill our purpose on earth and be able to prepare ourselves to come back to him. End of quote. Less than two years following my first meeting with Laura McPherson, her tumors overcame her body. She no longer had any movement below her neck. As I visited her for the final time in this life, I thought about the opportunities that had been given to me that she had never had. I had lived a life mostly free of pain. She had not. I had been able to marry someone that I loved and would hold dear for eternity. She had not. I had been given children and all the experiences of raising a family. She would have none of these experiences on this earth. Yet there was no pity, no feeling that she had been mistreated, only faith and courage. 
We talked about what her experience would be as she moved through the veil, who might be there to meet her, the happiness she would feel, and her satisfaction at having kept the commandments. We talked about the glorious gifts of our Savior Jesus Christ. I gave her a blessing and told her goodbye. The next Sunday, the family held a fast on her behalf, and that afternoon she quietly slipped away through the veil. Her example blessed me greatly. How thankful I am for my life, my breath. How thankful I am for my moral agency, my ability to choose, to choose right over wrong, to choose to keep the commandments. How grateful I am for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who through his resurrection has rescued us from death and who through his pure life and willingness to take upon himself our sins as we repent, has rescued us from the chains of the adversary and given us a way back into our Father's presence. <clears throat> my dear young friends, my brothers and sisters, your life is before you, and I congratulate you on the choices you have made. And I thank you for desiring to follow Jesus Christ. I give you my sure and certain witness, born of the Spirit, but also of my holy ordination that has brought to me feelings, events, experiences, sacred and personal that I could never, never deny. I know He lives. He is our Savior and Redeemer. He is resurrected. He has restored his gospel to the earth. I leave you a blessing as one of his apostles that you may appreciate to some small degree, if you choose, your life, the very life he has given you, that in your prayers you might have a greater desire to mold your will to him and be swallowed up as our Savior was in the will of the Father, and that as you continue along your path of mortality, your sureness and certainty of the gospel and of Jesus Christ will grow and develop, that you may have a firm and certain witness yourself that he is our Savior and Redeemer, that in that day when we kneel before him, it will be a day of great joy and happiness not of surprise, for we knew that day would come, but a day when we realize that all our choices in mortality have prepared us to live for him, with him. I give you this blessing along with my humble witness that he lives. I am his witness, and I so declare it in his sacred name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. in my mind that say I'm not enough Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up 
You'll have every failure, God. You'll have every victory. 